We have a role in K-12 to help it make sense and to make sure that the children are developing those skills and that that's right front and centre in everything that we do in every day in our classrooms. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi, I'm Luca Perry. Uh, today we're speaking with Jennifer Adams, and she has been the Director of Education at the Ottawa Carlton District School Board for now seven years. Uh, in her role, she leads a pretty significant district uh, with a very diverse population. We're talking 73,000 students, 10,000 employees across 150 plus elementary, secondary schools, and other sites. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here, Luca. So I want to, I want you to. Tell us a little bit more about your journey in education um, and then also give us a sense of what you're really excited about with the work that you currently do, particularly at that, that international level. So I'll start a little bit about the, the school district. Uh, it's a large school district, very diverse population, and about a decade ago we sp started spending a lot of time talking about teaching and learning, which seems obvious, but uh, it's always good to really focus on your core business. And the big question that we asked ourselves were, what are the kinds of instructional practices that teachers should be using to make sure that children are really engaged in their learning and what do they look like at kindergarten all the way through to grade 12. So we'd done a lot of that work and we'd moved um, our instructional practices away from the, the concept of just getting and giving knowledge to really helping students across the different subject areas engage in critical thinking and problem solving and developing communication, really worked on expanding the methodologies that we use with classroom assessment and evaluation. And that was really uh, interesting work. And by the time I moved into the role of director of education, the whole concept of social emotional skills and that 21st century skills and what are those generic skills that students need to have. And at the time we launched a review, of, a review of our secondary schools and we brought in a big group of community people, combination of students and teachers and uh, business people, post-secondary people, to ask the question of what, what are the characteristics and skills that all of our graduates should have coming out of the system. And it was an amazing process. And what was really interesting, I mean, we do a lot of consultation in our district, but what was really interesting in, what in, interesting was that people were so engaged with this conversation. They had very strong opinions of what are those skills that are required. And we had done a bit of a research, re, uh, a literature review. So we knew what you know the academics were saying, but we really wanted to see what were our people saying in our community. And we came out at the end of the process, to make a long story short, we came out with five characteristics and five skills that we have branded as our OCDSB exit outcomes. And for the last five years, we talk about those all the time. In fact, it was really interesting when we had our last uh, municipal election where our uh, board of trustees for the school district are elected, they start off by creating a strategic plan for the, a multi-year strategic plan for the next four years. And even the politicians thought that that was so important that they embedded in our strat plan, the foundational piece are those uh, 
10 characteristics and skills of our exit outcomes. So it was really interesting. You know, sometimes when you're doing that kind of work in a school district, you wonder if it's the internal users that are really talking about that. But the, the feedback came back so strongly from the community that our politicians bought into it. And uh, what makes me really proud of that is the concept of, you know, many organizations have a vision statement and a mission statement, but those exit outcomes, those are our vision for, that's our vision for student learning. And yeah. I think that's really powerful. Absolutely. It's the core premise behind all education, basically. Right? Exactly. You go through 12 exactly. years of education. What do we hope you have gained from that experience? And, and hopefully it's just not one number, for example. It Absolutely. Far, far beyond that. Take us a little bit into um, the work, because of course you've been doing this in that school district. Um, and also you're, you're kind of associated with the OECD work in this space as well. Give us a bit of a sense of what's happening at that international level as well and, and what you're seeing through that work. So it was really interesting when, when uh, we had started this internal look within the school district and, and roughly at the same period of time I was approached by someone from the OECD that they were going to start the development of a very significant study on the so, on the uh, on social and emotional skills and so I became involved in in that as well and I'm, I'm currently the chair of the informal advisory committee that oversees that project and fast forward uh, it's coming the main study is coming very soon so we have a study now that um, uh, the design of it was what the concept was the idea of cities from around the world to be involved in this assessment. And we have 10 countries uh, from around the world. Uh, we've got uh, China and uh, Korea uh, in, in uh, Asia. We've got Russia, uh, Turkey, um, Portugal, Italy, um, the United States, uh, Houston is the lead, uh, as well as uh, Ottawa, Canada, and uh, Columbia has two cities taking part. So we've got 10 city cities, a really nice spread uh, around the, the globe. Unfortunately, Australia is not there, but uh, they're aware of the study. And uh, we are, through the item trials, we are uh, just finishing the field study right now, and the full administration will take place uh, next fall, so the fall of 2019. And it will provide us with incredible information uh, that, you know, not only will the countries that take apart get really inform interesting information, it's, I think, the first study at that scale that's global that, you know, countries around the world can be learning from it. Mm, fascinating. Because yeah. um, we know there's some, some great work happening at national levels, for example. Absolutely. But it isn't yet this kind of cohesive international piece. So that'll be really exciting to see that come And they started, uh, they started with a major literature review before they got the conceptual, before they developed the conceptual framework for the actual study. And they took a look at social-emotional skills, non-cognitive skills, all studies that had taken place in those areas from around the world. So lots of those national studies that have been up and going for a, a, you know, a fairly uh, significant amount of time, they were able to learn from that, and that was kind of the stepping stone to the development of this uh, test. So you know, why the test? A couple of things. We want to make sure that um, we expand the focus on the policy agenda around social-emotional skills. We want to promote the development of social-emotional skills in, in children around the world. And we want to actually have a positive impact on the outcomes for students. So what can we learn from this as far as outcomes, not just um, uh, learning outcomes or, or achievement outcomes, but actually health outcomes, life outcomes. So it's, it's, a, it's a very broad study that I think will 
provide us with amazing information. Fantastic. Um, one thing that we often talk about is, you know, everyone agrees that education needs to change. They kind of understand that. We aren't yet certain on what that looks like specifically, particularly in the social and emotional learning space, um, or at least that knowledge isn't distributed well, and then the how to actually make that happen, the implementation of that, again, is almost an open question. Um, what's kind of your insight? If you were to answer this question, why does this matter? What should we do? And how might we do that? What would be your answers to those three questions? Yeah, it's, it, it relates back to kind of the work that I was doing in our, in our school district. It became very obvious. I mean, we're hearing from the business community loudly and clearly that they are really good at teaching technical skills and the, technical, the, the demands for technical skills are changing. The skills themselves are changing so quickly that the business community says, at least that's what we're hearing, we can handle that and we know we have to provide continual learning in those areas to our employees. But what they're saying right, right around the world is that there are certain skills that they want uh, students, new employees, to be coming into their their employee into their uh, um, employee settings. So, so that's a, a great uh, motivator. Um, when you talk to parents and you ask parents what they would like their children, what they would like for their children coming out of your education system, they often say two things. They want them to have the skills that allow them to um, uh, enter into the workforce and be productive. Uh, three things actually. Uh, that the second piece is they want them to be uh, engaged in their communities and and uh, supporting their communities. And thirdly, they want them to be happy. Yeah. You know, when they really look at and, and I'm a mom myself, I want my children to be happy. And so the education system has an incredible opportunity to be um, creating learning in a way that allows students to be developing those skills. Mm, fascinating. Um, Give us a sense, if you're a, a teacher or a school principal and you want to know more about this space, because you care about it, you aren't, you've always understood how important it is, but you're not really sure like what steps to take. And perhaps your system is on board, perhaps they're not yet on board, they're considering how to move. What advice would you give to that educator or that school leader at those levels in terms of becoming kind of better informed about this work, becoming an advocate for this work? What's your insight there? When we've talked to uh, our teachers and our systems, one of the things that um, we talk to them about is the idea that this actually, the, the, the focus on social emotional skills actually acknowledges the work that they've been doing in their classrooms forever. Um, the very narrow um, agenda of cognitive skill development. Of course, we're trying to make sure that children come out of our system and they're literate and they're numerate. But teachers have always told us, but we do so much more than that. You know, we're responsible for those kids from the time they walk in our classroom to the, to the, to the end of the day. And we do so much more than just that. So that idea of social-emotional skills and the focus on that really acknowledges the fact that teachers and education systems help children develop cognitive skills, but they also help them develop non-cognitive skills. And so really it's a balancing. Um, when we think of the idea of, in Ontario, um, the uh, Education Act, the legislation actually changed in 2009 to say that school boards were not only responsible for student achievement, but also student well-being. 
And so there's a legislative piece there that says this is our responsibility. And I think it's really acknowledging to the teachers to say, yes, you do incredible work in your classrooms, and now we're actually acknowledging that. The pathway that we took in our school district was to say, we've been working on um, really the instructional, high quality instructional practices that built in a lot of these pieces already. So the pathway that we've taken is to say, we're not gonna have a separate curriculum on this, but what we will do is we'll say, what would it look like in mathematics, in science, in the arts? What are the kinds of things that teachers do to help uh, children build skills on resiliency, on ethical decision-making, on effective communication uh, practices. So that's the focus that we've taken. Other districts uh, that I've, or other jurisdictions around the world that I have seen have taken more of an approach where they're saying, here's a, a set curriculum for, this, for the social-emotional skills. And I think it, it's, it's um, very much, the decision should be made based on a needs assessment within the jurisdiction because either those pathways can work or a combination of those pathways can work. Do you not, do you not have a, a view on which might be ideal? We know that context always matters, of course. But for example, you know, one of the recommendations coming out of, of Castle's work, the National Commission, for example, in the US, is, is that you should have both an explicit subject or curriculum piece, but then it should also be embedded. So it's explicit. It's kind of a both-and proposition. What's your I, insight on that? I, I agree 100% that it's both-and. And I think depending on where your jurisdiction is, you may start with one and lead to the other or vice versa. We've taken the stance that we've started with saying this is part of curriculum. The way that curriculum is set up in Ontario is that there's a separate curriculum document for each grade level and for each um, subject area. But what's common is the first three or four pages in all of those documents talk about the need to be helping students become critical thinkers, et cetera. So the, the front end of our curriculum documents in Ontario are actually all about the social emotional skills. So, you know, when we're talking with our teachers, this isn't in addition to what you're doing, this is actually the what you're doing. So, you know, in our jurisdiction, it was easier to do that because the curriculum was already set up that way. So we started with the idea of it's right across all of the different uh, subject areas and it starts in kindergarten and moves all the way up to grade 12. That being said, what we have noticed is that, uh, and this has been in the last year or two, is that there's a need to look at kind of tier one and tier two interventions for students. So uh, we have gone out and we've looked at, and our, our psychologists and our, so, our social workers, our professional staff have done a really great job with this, is they've actually gone out and looked at evidence-based programs and said, these are the ones that probably match the best for the needs in our jurisdiction, and they provide um, opportunities for all of our principals to know about those programs, to kind of decide, you know, to be able to have a sense of what they are, and then training for our teachers that are in, in situations where, yes, it would be really helpful to have that very specific intervention happening with, uh, within a particular school that has particularly high needs, or across um, classrooms of, teach, of, of students that would need those types of interventions. So we've gone, at, gone from kind of the embedded across the curriculum to realizing that we need to have some of those program uh, specific supports and other jurisdictions, particularly jurisdictions around the world that are 
really, really large jurisdictions where there may not have they may not have had the luxury of spending a lot of time in professional development with their teachers as far as instructional practices. What I've noticed is that those jurisdictions often do start with a set time in the day, a particular curriculum to kind of launch that. And at the end of the day, those jurisdictions, if they can start off with that and then move once the, the teachers are more familiar with the curriculum and the concepts behind it, to move that across, um, they'll be equally as successful. What about your insights on if you're a school leader and you, you're kind of looking around for this piece and there's a couple of pieces that exist, but you don't see the systemic kind of alignment yet. What advice do you give to a, a school leader in this space in terms of them bringing something in at that school level? Um, you know, how cohesive or aligned does it need to be? Where should they turn? Many of... Uh, the jurisdictions around the world will have a process in place within their schools that are school learning plans or school improvement planning where they develop an annual plan that says, you know, looking at the data, looking at our students, knowing our student profiles, these are the key things that we're going to be working on to help them out. In our jurisdiction, we've um, asked um, leaders with their um, educator teams to come up with one goal in the area of student achievement, cognitive skills, and one goal in the area of well-being. And so that's a starting point. And, and there are, you know, there are uh, leaders that are, you know, a little bit hesitant. They don't know as much about the one area compared to the other area. And we make sure that we've got networks in place so that they can be asking, you know, a colleague that's in a school down the road for some support. We have instructional coaches uh, that go in and support our, our principals and our teachers to have those kinds of collaborative conversations as far as how do we move this agenda forward at the school level. So there are pieces in place like that that uh, help people that are thinking, I'm not quite sure if I know enough about this, and we try to provide those resources. Um, what's, the, what's the end goal? What's the vision for this? So you know, OECD talks about 2030 as kind of a as a marker in time. Uh, we've got the Sustainable Development Goals, we've got the overarching kind of UN goals um, globally. Where, where do you hope that we get to with this? I hope that we get to a point where um, jurisdictions around the world are looking at that end game for their students um, and that they realize that although it's an end game with us, it's very much a midpoint for that individual child and student. So they come from their homes and they're already developing both cognitive and non-cognitive skills before they get into formal schooling. Then we have them K to 12. It's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible responsibility. But we know that particularly with the social and emotional skills, it's very much developmental and they continue all the way into adulthood. So we have a role to play for that number of years but then we pass those students on to post-secondary education and out into the workplace. And what one of my hopes are is that collectively we see that all of us have a role to play in the development of our individual citizens. So parents play a big role. We know that social-emotional skills, the, the family context is one place where children develop 
uh, those social emotional skills. We know that schools have an impact in how we organize learning and how uh, adults relate to children and how children have a voice in the way that they're learning. We know that that has a big impact. And then when they get on, in a perfect world, we'll have employers that'll be saying, yeah, we have to help them continue with the development of those social emotional skills. And we do it because obviously it's good for our organization or our business, but we also do it because it's really important for our country and and for the the citizens within it. So, hopefully, you know, when I think of you know what's my dream, yeah, that's what it'll look like. Let me just finish off the final question, which is, uh, when we're in you know the modern society, there's so so much information out there. Everything is trying to grab your attention and hijack your attention. Um, in in media or advertising or marketing or anything. What take-home messages would you want to kind of just offer to the profession, be it educa educators working in schools, leaders, parents, people in the education ecosystem that you think are really kind of mantras you might, whatever the case might be? I, I, think, the, uh, I think it's actually becoming easier in some ways. When you look at whether you call it 21st century skills or social-emotional skills or generic skills, global competencies, I think it's becoming really obvious to all of the stakeholders that this just makes sense. And so what's our role in, in having that happen? And I'm going to give you just a, a really concrete example. I had a, um, a community member come and say that, you know, their father was celebrating his 80th birthday and he had never graduated from high school and was there anything that they could do to give him a graduation diploma? That was the only thing that, you know, his biggest regret in his life. So, you know, we kind of thought about this and I said, I came back to my uh, team and I said, we'll talk about the exit outcomes and we'll give them a certificate of exit outcomes. And so what I, I talked to the family members and I said, you know, his, the, the dad I think was a, a chief of uh, firefighters. So I said, you know, go through these different characteristics and skills from 70 years ago or from 60 years ago and, and how did he demonstrate that he had resilience? How did he demonstrate that he was an effective communicator? How did he demonstrate that he was goal-oriented? And the family afterwards contacted me afterwards, and you know we made a certificate for him, and it was you know the exit outcomes, and and they said it was really touching because the the 80 year old could completely relate to the characteristics and skills that the community for our students graduating said these are the things that are important. So we had an 80-year-old was saying, yes, I 100% agree, agree. So, you know, at any time in education, we have, you know, great debates as far as, you know, the pedagogies of how we're teaching mathematics, and you'll have different opinions and content, et cetera. But I honestly think with the, the 21st century skills or non-cognitive skills, we have to use different names depending on the audience because non-cognitive skills means nothing to most people, right? But when we talk about 21st century skills or life skills, everybody can relate to those. And there's a, there's a, there's a commonality in, in that idea of intergenerational People can relate to it, whether they're 80 years old or whether there's 40, they're 40 year olds or whether they're 20 year olds. These are, these are skills that are, that are intergenerational and they're almost timeless. And the, the interesting thing is with the level of specificity that the workplace is now demanding, 
that those are, the, it's almost going back to the time of really generic skills that are going to be the basis for success in the future. Yeah, the, the rise of the deep generalists, as they, as they talk about. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible opportunity. So I don't worry about uh, convincing uh, people that this is the right thing to do, because I almost think it's, it's kind of obvious. And I think, I think people can relate to it that come from very different um, work backgrounds, education backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, I think it makes sense. And, you know, we have a role in K-12 to help it make sense and to make sure that the children are developing those skills and that that's right front and centre in everything that we do in every day in our classrooms. Jennifer, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us today and for also being a huge advocate for this work. Thanks, Luca. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.